Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by Sarah Gavron, director of such films as Brick Lane, Suffragette, and the brand new release, Rocks. Hello, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for, for, for coming on. Um, it's really nice to, to talk to you. And also so nice that we're actually able to play rocks in cinemas. I know, few, finally. Been it's, a long um... wait, but we're all very excited. September the 18th. You had your UK premiere at the London Film Festival, and then the release was due, I think, for April originally. But um, of course, current events pushed it back slightly. Yeah, we were so ready and on the cusp and standing in the wings. But but then, yeah, we had to all sort of hold tight and hold our breath for months and months. And the poor young people in the cast have been so patient, but it's all a good outcome. I think it's worth it, isn't it, to actually get this film in front of audiences and, and have that communal, albeit socially distanced, uh, experience of watching the film together. Yeah, and, and sort of oddly, I hope that the experiences everybody have been through will make the film feel maybe more resonant. You know, it's been such a tough time for young people and there's been Black Lives Matter and young people being kept out of school that I hope sort of a film that shines a light on the joy and resilience of young people will be what everybody needs and a good experience and entertaining. <laughs> it was actually one of the last films I saw before the cinemas had to close and I got to see it on a big screen, but I came out of the cinema in floods of tears. It was such an uplifting and sort of joyous and heartwarming experience. Well, that's the girls, you know, they're kind of this funny mixture of, you know, laughing one minute and crying the next. And, you know, I mean, that's what teenagers are. And but, <laughs> but also it's what sort of makes them fun to be around. For listeners who maybe have seen your previous works but haven't seen Rocks yet, this is a little bit different in terms of your approach. I mean, your last film had huge Hollywood A-listers in, <laughs> the likes of Meryl Streep and Carrie Mulligan. And this is a, is a very different sort of approach to filmmaking. Why was it important for for Rocks to, you know, be made the way it was made? Well, yeah, so the creative team wanted to, we all wanted to make a film about young people, but we it felt the right thing uh, um, to, to build it with the young people themselves. You know, I couldn't be further from that age and from their experiences. And we wanted to do something that felt fresh and authentic and true to their lives. And so we made it in this collective way where we sort of flattened the hierarchy and we got lots of young people on the crew. And Teresa Okoko, the writer who came up with the story, co-wrote with Claire Wilson. And then um, Anu Henrique, who was the associate director, were both, all, all three actually, by my side all the time. We were all kind of collectively almost co-authoring co it co-directing I mean it's very much Teresa's story but co-creating it and the young people themselves we found the cast before the script was written so there was um you know very much we all knew each other we've been workshopping for over a year so it was a proper proper collaboration and um I was really the one who learned the most and knew the least it must be quite exciting to you know, go into a project and know you're going to make it in, you're actively going to go in and, and make it in this slightly different way. Yeah, I enjoy the sort of each project learning a whole new, you know, ideas, a set of skills, ways of working. I mean, this was particularly creatively energising because the young women in it didn't hold back. You know, they were very challenging. I mean, I've worked with, you know, as you say, some established actors who um, are also pretty forthright about their opinions, but these girls would... <laughs> 
really say if something wasn't working. You know, there was a moment where Samaya, the character of Samaya, who's played by a, a British Somali girl called Kosar Ali, after about four or five hours of filming, she came up to me and said, you know, the scene we're doing, Sarah, the way we're doing it, it's just dead, it's totally dead. And I went back to the creative team and we thought she's right. And we, we restaged it and we reshot it. So it was a, it was definitely a conversation. That's so nice to hear. And it does sound like it's a real collaboration in that respect. I was wondering when I was watching the film, because I've, a lot of people are, you know, probably saying this to you, you know, it feels authentic. It feels lived in. They feel, you know, like they're playing people who are exactly their age in their, in their circumstance. Were they feeding into how scenes would play out and how dialogue would, would come out? They were. I mean, the year the year long workshop was about um, finding a team who felt like natural friends, who formed a friendship, which they did, who wanted to go on that journey and wanted to contribute. And they were, you know, Theresa and Claire wrote a script, um, which was the most brilliant launching pad. But then at the time, you know, they were also on set and members of the creative team were on set. And so we could respond to the girls' way of saying things and ways of doing things. So they very much were able to inhabit those characters. I mean, the, the characters themselves, um, the, the journeys they went on were very distinct from the girls in real life. You know, they haven't lived those through those experiences, but they could bring a lot of um, their, ex their other experiences of life, whether it's cultural backgrounds and views um, to the characters. It's shot in you know proper London locations, uh, which is great. Was it was it sort of weird for them to be shooting around to the general public? You know, people just sort of walking past the filming unit. I think um, young people are so used to everything being filmed, and they've got the camera on themselves the whole time that they were incredibly unselfconscious. And also, we've been filming a lot of the workshops already, and the crew was you know, 75% female, I'd say even more on the floor um, when we were shooting, and um, women and young, and oh yeah, well, I've said women, young, and from backgrounds close to the, the, the girls. So, you know, everybody sort of blended in. It wasn't like we were a really obvious film crew standing there. You, you go into this film knowing this is going to be a bit of a different experience for you. What was the most surprising thing you, you, you learned whilst making this film? I think I was endlessly surprised, actually. The girls... I got to know them and I've almost sort of forgotten what I didn't know at the beginning, but definitely they, I learned a lot of the way they speak and the way they approach life and, and their um, resilience and their ability to find joy. And they're also very um, switched on and connected to the world, you know, partly because of social media. They're really politically aware, socially aware. During COVID and Black Lives Matter and during the lockdown, you know, they they been politically active they've been producing leaflets and campaigning in response to the whole black lives matter um the george floyd death and they're really really um, bold and generous and brave you know it takes a lot of bravery to act in a film and they, they, they were also like it was like working with professional actors in lots of ways you know they were diligent and they were there every day and they were committed i think partly because they were so engaged and felt they had stakes in, in, in everything because they'd been part of the journey with us but um, I, I, it made me realise how much we need to nurture young people. And, you know, these 10 years of austerity of like ripping out youth clubs from our communities. We went to a couple of youth clubs, youth hubs that were just such vital resources for young people. And you just feel more than ever that we've got to shine a light on these young people to create structures that allow them to, to blossom and be who they should be. And so many of our systems don't allow that. Um, so I, I really, really hope that we, that, you know, in a small way, the film affirms these young women that makes people, that makes them feel seen and acknowledged and understood and that we all start waking up to the importance of our young people.
it's such a good story when you're talking about this film you know you're working with non-professional actors and they're in a you know a film in cinemas it sort of shows you know anyone can do this if you put your mind to it yeah and i hope that lots of the young people involved in the filmmaking will then become the storytellers of the future because that was one of the ideas is that you know we've had an industry that as we all know has kind of been limited um in terms of its accessibility and that reflects itself in the kind of stories we see and we, we kind of deliberately tried to set up an environment where, you know, they could look behind the camera and see people and think I could be a director, I could be a writer, I could be a camera person. So one day they might, they might do that. And there are so many stories that could come out of their lives and the lives of girls around them and communities around them. And you just hope that, you know, that, that, they, will, that they will go on to tell their own stories because I think we'd have such a much richer, richer industry mm. for that. When you're going into making a film, Sarah, you know, this is a podcast about film runtimes. Do you ever think about how long the finished film will be? It's interesting because, um, you know, usually you're in the edit sort of grappling with something over long. And uh, one of the kind of torturous processes is about reducing it. I mean, I, I've tended to make, I mean, I looked through the running time of, of all the work I've done and really irritated that it didn't come in under 90 minutes. So I'd love, I'd love <laughs> to make it. But um, it's always hovered around the 90 minute mark. And I do enjoy short films. You rarely complain that a film's too short. But you mm. often complain that films too long, don't you? Um, and, you know, there are different mediums for longer pieces of work, like, you know, series TV. So, um, yeah, so I do think about it and I never want anything to feel too long. So often a lot of the edit is around how can we tighten this up and how can we make this sing and what can we lose? And, and nobody notices and it will just make the whole film tighter and better. So for this podcast, Sarah, I gave you some homework um, and it was to choose an under 90 minute film that you'd like to put into our festival. When we sort of sent the, <laughs> the pitch over, how did you respond? How did you tackle this, this piece of homework? Well, it was really, really tough. And I'm sure everybody always says that. But because, you know, there were so many films under 90 minutes that I could have chosen. And, you know, my natural inclination would be because I love films directed by a woman to choose a film by a woman filmmaker. Um, but I ended up choosing a film for very particular reasons, which is Show Me Love by Lucas Moodison. And the reason I chose it is as much to do with the context in which I saw it as anything else. Show Me Love is the comic and heartbreaking story of Agnes, Ellen and their teenage friends growing up in the small town of Amal. Nothing ever happens until Ellen shows up at Agnes's birthday party and Ellen's life takes an unexpected turn. Stuck in the middle of two love interests, Ellen tries to come to terms with her real self and the courage it takes to be different. Do you think that sums up the story uh, successfully, Sarah? You know, it's a particular art writing those things so that you don't give away what happens. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, the reason I, I chose it was because at the time it came out, which was in the late 90s, I was so hungry for stories that centred girls and women. And I'd grown up with so few of them, that, you know, that, that resonated. And since since that film there have been lots of really really fantastic films and many of them directed by women from divines mustang girlhood fish tank i could go on you know um, that that center women that are made by women that that explore the complexity of, of teenagers but at the time lucas moodson's film was really felt like a little bit of a revelation to me so you know i i, I sort of went back to that self and also when we were doing rocks it was born out of that desire to make a film that really 
showed a truthful version of what it is to be a girl growing up. And often we get very entertaining, but sort of slightly limited renditions of teenage girls, you know, in relation to boys and only, or um, being very, very big. I mean, there are all those elements in this film, but it's nuanced of sort of broad comedies. And, and this manages to tread that line between, and, and really show sort of complex, complex girls and the complexity of growing up, even though it's a very, very tiny story in lots of ways. But I like the fact it finds lots of, in the mundanity of their everyday life and that it, it doesn't have to have this big landscape in terms of storytelling, um, but it still has drama. And teenage girls are good at drama, you know. <laughs> they, go, they, they throw things around, they shout, they cry, they laugh, they dance, they do all that, you know, it's all there. So, um, so I, I, at the time, enjoyed it. Going back, I, it was a different experience, but it was an interesting experience re-watching it. This is quite interesting from Lucas Moodison. So it's actually his feature debut and it feels so accomplished. Uh, you know, I guess he's a very talented person, but um, I was surprised to look on IMDb after watching and realise this was actually his first feature film. I know, he'd been a poet before and I think, he, you know, so he'd had a bit of a life and he was sort of very young when he had his first poetry collection um, published and then yeah and then this was his first film and he's had a kind of interesting career since you know I mean he's very sort of um hard to to read in interviews um he doesn't give much away he went on to do Together and Lilia Forever which you know was a very dark story but then he went very experimental for a few films um and so so he's he's kind of not been as kind of consistent not that that's ever a bad thing and and this film you know got a lot of um plaudits and famously i think bergman said it was a bit of a masterpiece and you know and that must be great if you're in sweden and bergman says it's a masterpiece it's not not too bad <laughs> it, um it was a huge success when it when it came out it uh, it was the highest grossing swedish film uh, released in sweden that year and i think the year after as well <laughs> it must have sort of released towards the end of the year and carried on playing in cinemas and um it was sweden's official entry for the Academy Awards that year which again if it's your feature debut that's that's not you know that's that's pretty amazing I, I don't know how it was made but you sort of start to theorize about some stuff behind it and I just wonder if you know at this point Lucas Moodison's so new and he's not he's not doing anything you know like the you know quote unquote sort of industry way you should do things he's able to get these amazing performances uh from from the the cast because it does feel it feels so close it's such an intimate film like we we spend a lot of time in people's bedrooms and in their private sort of spaces and it just everything feels like it's a real bedroom it's a real living room it's a real school it was a bit like you're a fly on the wall of these these people it is and I'm, I'm sort of frustrated that i couldn't find more about his process on this film partly because i think he he doesn't speak a lot and partly because in the late 90s you know we didn't have the same internet resources that we've got now of youtube interviews um, so he's done interviews about later work but less less that i could find about this but i'm interested too i mean obviously there's quite a lot of handheld camera work in it and as you say it's very very up close I mean almost unremittingly up close you know very rarely establishes the environments you're in here and there you're cut to a wide shot which is you know there's one sort of comedy wide shot in a scene of when um, Agnes and her boyfriend are on one bench and the sister and her boyfriend Ellen and the boyfriend are on one bench and her sister and the boyfriend are on another bench and it, you don't realize it and then you cut out and see that they're on both sides of different sides of a playground and you know and he plays with those kind of moments but generally it's pretty on sort of cinematically showy and just in close-ups 
and you know and yes and moving between and jumping in on scenes without any establishers and just moving from one environment to the other so it feels quite immersive you're very much in their world and as you say in their bedrooms and in their lives and their lives are quite small you know they're stuck in this small town they've got nowhere to go um there's this one bridge that you come back to a couple of times where where they try the two girls try and hitchhike to stockholm which seems like the other end of the world but you know short small towns make are always good for films aren't they like stand by me is you know also it can work well to put people in a small environment big personalities in a small town really lends you know lets the characters really live because as you said earlier there's no distractions from you know like if, if this was shot in london or new york or something it would just be such a different beast the town would become a character and in and in this it's just all about i guess it's that sort of love that relationship and and sort of you know the slight extensions of it the friendship group the love triangle setting it in the town a town like amal which i know nothing about but um <laughs> i gather it's quite dull from from this film is such a masterstroke yeah I, I don't have any desire to go to that town <laughs> <laughs> Although I do now know Scandinavia quite well because my partner is Danish and we've done quite a lot of exploring of Scandinavia. So I feel like when I revisited it, I had a bit of a different take on the whole Scandinavian scene. Some listeners may know this film by its other title, which is F***ing Amal, but it had to be changed for the American release. Apparently Variety wouldn't advertise it with that title. So yeah. <laughs> so Show Me Love was kind of, it's, it's not doesn't really do it justice, I think. And it was taken from the words from the final song, but I don't think it's a, a hugely appropriate title. But I think it is good to go into it knowing that it had that original title, because even, the t- you know, it's quite an edgy title and it adds, it sort of adds something to it. Yeah, it does. And, and Ellen, you know, is constantly complaining about her town and the fact that you know she reads that raves are going out and she hasn't even been to a rave yet you know they're, they're so behind that things go out before they even reach their town and she's horribly frustrated with living in that small environment and longing to be somewhere else I thought something the film did really well was um, the relationships with the, you know, the various sort of families around them, um, especially with, with the mother who finds uh, messages on, on the computer. So Agnes has been keeping a diary on her computer, but it's a really good tool for us as the audience because we get to see exactly what's going on in her in her brain uh, by her typing it on screen for us. But that does also mean it's it's kind of an open book for her mother to find later in the story where she's talking about her feelings, her romantic feelings for Ellen. I was watching with uh, podcast producer Louise and uh, we sort of looked at each other and we're like no you don't do that (laughs) I know I know the betrayal I mean it's interesting because the mother you know she has a tricky relationship with her mother doesn't she Agnes's character but has a, a more easy relationship with her father who's incredibly sort of sweet character even though he totally is oblivious to what's going on in her life you know he's, he's not intuiting she's in pain but he's not managed neither of the parents have a clue what's happening in her bedroom you know and it's mm. amazing how you can live in that close proximity and just not know what's going on with your kids I mean the same is happening on the flip side with the Ellen character where you know she's going out all night and her mum doesn't realize and all sorts of things are going on and her mum's oblivious but um, and I love the scene of um, Ellen sitting on the sofa with her mum you know, and they're watching TV and she just slips in that she thinks she's gay and she's li- <laughs> and her mum sort of doesn't really respond. And, you know, it's that sort of <laughs> mundane life where, you know, they keep on dropping these big statements and big bombshells, but they just sort of get caught up in, the, in life and missed. 
by the parents. The characters' parents are really good sort of symbols of what you could become if you stay in this town. And that scene on the sofa, the mother's watching the lottery, but she doesn't have a lottery ticket. And they have quite an interesting conversation about that. You know, um, she's not invested because she could, she can't win. She hasn't got a ticket, but she just likes to see people being happy when they do win. And it's sort of her resigning herself to her life is, you know, just watching from the sidelines a little bit. I thought it it was sort of quite sad, but you know, it really sold that character in just a couple of lines of dialogue. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, that was absolutely what it's about. And you, and you, and then then you see the boyfriends watching, you know, bingo, or and you realise that's the, their destiny. They're just going to sit in front of the TV if they if they don't sort of widen their horizons a bit. I thought that was quite a funny reveal that they're all watching the bingo and it's, you know, it's like a group of friends have come over to the house, but we'll just watch the bingo. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, can't you do more exciting things? And then she decides, she gets so frustrated, she decides to dump her boyfriend, but goes into the other room and rings the phone <laughs> to do it. You know, it's such sort of teenage brutal behaviour, but so true. But I also like the way that the, the girls were very front footed and the boys were sort of a bit feeble and adoring and doting, you know, and mm. so it wasn't giving much credence to the boys in it. They're sort of dressed like, you know, like teenagers dress, but they feel like they're sort of maybe on the fringe. They're all a bit sort of rebellious, but the boys are all, you know, pretty low key and, and yeah, I guess not, not, not hugely interesting characters in that respect. No, no. <laughs> They're not sort of the bad boy rebel types that we, we might see in a teen film. Yeah, no, they're really not, are they? I mean, Ellen is in a way the bad boy she's mm. you know <laughs> Yeah. It allows Ellen and Agnes to be put front and centre, which is you know what what they should be. I would say for a film that's eighty nine minutes long, the um the sort of will day won't day between Agnes and Ellen is, was was so tense. You know, it, it made it feel like a lifetime. <laughs> yes, it did. I mean, which it must have you know because it's only a couple of nights, isn't it, in real time? But it must have felt like that for her. I mean, you know, I can relate to that sort of torturous time feeling of time when you're a teenager when you don't know things and. Um, yeah, so it really it really plays with that time cleverly because actually the it's a very short period of time, isn't it? Mm. And I guess it's true when you're of that age. There's a lot of angst and 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 worry that goes with it, especially around relationships. And it uh, you know it, it makes it feel like we're in there, we you know we're in their relationship with them for a, just a couple of days. But it's at the sort of the dramatic high point um, of, of it. Yeah, and how quickly things can change. You know, she goes from sort of wanting to slit her wrists to then mm. being on a massive high. You know, it deals with some pretty sort of dark, serious issues. But but as you said, from the back of the thing, it has a kind of comedic tone, although I wouldn't call it a comedy. No, if you go into this expecting a comedy, you, you might be disappointed. I don't think it's fair to tell the audience to expect that, um, you know, there's funny moments, but it's not a comedy. No. And I like this sort of, you know, um, Romeo and Juliet thing. I noticed she had Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet on her wall. And then, you know, she's got her Ellen, her love interest is a, a throwing stones up to her balcony and you know it's, it's, it's sort of sweet but not in a corny way <laughs> it's such a nice sort of visual cue and you're right i mean seeing those like posters it did feel like they it felt like they'd almost decorated the rooms themselves you know it wasn't the art department um they all felt like things that girls that age and teenagers that age would actually have in their rooms yeah no you're right it definitely felt like the art department had approached those girls and, and given them sort of ownership of those environments yeah and they and the girls performances felt very kind of at home and he did talk briefly in one of the interviews I saw about how important he feels it's to make a to create a safe space on set to make the actors feel sort of comfortable and I thought that that came across you know absolutely uh, yeah it totally felt like we're <laughs> you know we're, we're not even though you know there's a director and a writer and a whole team of people behind us it felt like we're seeing 
their inter their, their raw interpretations of these characters, um, and they felt like they had a lot of room, uh, you know, to to sort of shape them, uh, which was. I think that's also partly you know, because of the low budget kind of look of the film, which just lends it to the authenticity. You know, it, it feels it's that fly on the wall thing again. Yeah, it does work. It does work well, and it, you know, on a broader level, it was dealing with the the idea of the outsider, wasn't it? Which is you know such a universal theme and what it is to not belong or you know it could have been because the color of your skin or because your sexual orientation or whatever it is that makes you not belong um, in a particular environment and that's such an enduring kind of universal theme that just matters and is important to tell stories about that. Då brukar jag så hälla i mer mjölk men då då räcker inte glaset till. Så då måste jag hälla över ett annat glas. Ett större glas eller ett till glas om det inte finns något stort glas. Det blir rätt mycket att då. Men det gör ingenting. Do you have a favorite scene in this film, Sarah? Well, I was thinking about that. I mean, I I, I like the I, I like little little details in it. Like I like the fact that the the two girls um, who live with the single mother, you know, when they get dressed up for a night out, they go into the elevator of the building because that's the place that has the full length mirror. And then their mum comes in with the shopping and finds them in their knickers in the elevator. And, you know, lots of lovely little well-observed comedic, um, but sort of true poignant detail. Um, and, and then the end, which, you know, on, on, on paper, you know, the two girls get together, they walk out triumphantly from the, the loo where they've been sort of stuck and they then go home and they drink chocolate milk. And, you know, it, it, it on paper it sounds sort of really really wrapped up and corny but what i liked about it was the realization that they are just children you know mm. they've been they've been trying to sort of be adults and they've been you know drinking and having sex and doing all the kind of adulty things but ultimately all they want to do is sit on their bed and drink chocolate milk and sort of banter about that and that's something so true about teenagers one of the things that through making rocks and hanging out with these girls is on one side they're so adult and on another side they're still these wells of sort of vulnerability and childishness and you want to protect that and let them live in that space for as long as possible because you know um, and, and and come to the adult world when it's time but so many teenagers are sort of adultized before they should be and that's the sort of tension around it. So it was a sort of comforting end in a way <laughs> that, that, I mean, made me personally feel happy. So we're going to show Show Me Love at our under 90 minute film festival. Very pleased to have our first Lucas Moodison film and I think our first Swedish film. What I will give you is a print of the film and, and a cinema to show the film in. But, you know, you're, you're a film director, you make movies. I'd love you to sort of add your personal touch to the space where we would show this film. Well, I, I, my sort of fantasy for this is that everybody would come with their old group of school friends or if they're currently at school, they'd come in their little groups and that they'd get to sit on sofas in this you know in this environment 
and they'd get to bring their own sort of treats, whether it's chocolate milk or, you know, popcorn or whatever, or, or crisps or whatever they want to eat, and eat noisily and ring their friends during it. And do all the things you can't, you shouldn't do in the cinema because it's not respectful, <laughs> but somehow uh, uh, make it a kind of uh, buzzy uh, atmosphere and make it about friendship. And then afterwards, they'd carry on and they'd sit and they'd, each choose a film about female well it doesn't have to be about female friendship actually it could just be about friendship teenage friendship and you'd see a series of films about friendship and you would kind of see the evolution of filmmaking through that how we've you know now we've got films with you know like girlhood about female friendship and we've got all sorts of different renditions of it you know and then you'd find yourself in all of them and you'd find and then you'd have, go off and have a really fun evening discussing with all your friends the best and worst of, of friendship oh wow that's a, so this is the beginning of an evening but actually it's going to lead to a much sort of larger and i guess it's a good bonding experience you know to actually have those conversations with your own group it of might friends. be a bit awkward at times because you have to <laughs> go back to some awkward moments but yeah generally bonding it would be a nice companion piece with celine chiama's water lilies which is also under 90 minutes that could be a good double bill maybe I love that as a double bill. I mean, that, that's another one I could have chosen. I mean, there are so many, you know, and as I said, I want to hold out for, for women filmmakers, but this was the beginning of a journey that led me to those women filmmakers, you see. Absolutely. No, no, totally. It's a, I think it's a really good tip. And it's also a film which I think deserves more praise. Like I, you know, to my uh, ignorance, I hadn't actually heard of this film before you selected it. And, and I would say I'm a Lucas Moodison fan. You know, We Are the Best. Uh, it was one of my favourite films that year and it's really stuck with me. Very good. Do you think the cast of Rocks would enjoy Show Me Love? Like, I was sort of thinking about Rocks whilst watching this and, and, you know, the sort of similarities with the groups of friends. I think they would, actually. I think, you know, I mean, they come from such a different world because they're in this big city that's so diverse and mixed. And But, you know, there's a lot of, of as we talked about, there's a lot of universals about friendship and how to navigate it and... Um, and the highs and lows. And so I think they would. And they're also very sophisticated film watchers, a lot of them. They've become very, um, they become cinephiles and they watch a lot. You know, they're always coming back, having watched the latest Barry Jenkins and wanting to discuss it. And we set up during lockdown the whole crew because it was made in this collaborative way and a number of us got together and did a film club on zoom for the for the young people where we'd all discuss films that we were watching so i'm sure they they would enjoy it that's amazing so at our screening we'll, we'll block out a few rows of seats we'll get the cast and crew of rocks in <laughs> uh, and maybe they could watch you no, they on, can talk on... About rocks afterwards you know <laughs> <promote> rocks <laughs> Well, there we there we go. We're gonna we're gonna do this fabulous screening of, of Show Me Love. We'll make sure we played a rocks trailer ahead of it in our fictional screening as well. If you had the chance at something like this to interview Lucas Moodison, would you would you be up for that? Doing like a Q and A? Normally, I would absolutely jump at the chance to interview a director and find out their process. But having watched a few interviews with him, I reckon he you know he's better it's better watching his work because <laughs> he he doesn't reveal much. So I think I'd I'd, I'd like to talk to the cast my, and I'd like to talk to other young people. Um, about their responses and the, and the Rocks team to see their responses. And if Lucas wants to come along, he's very welcome. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Sarah. And, and thank you for Rocks. Thanks very much, Sam. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also listen on our website, 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. 
The show is edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. 